other folks made it through the, the rising waters, the, the tides. <laughs> when I was born, the nurses whisked me away from my mother so that she only had time to see a head full of dark hair. Where she lay in the delivery room, she tells me she repeated to herself, Rebecca Ruth, Rebecca Ruth. If our Mirror Mirror series is about seeing ourselves in fairy tales and the shared fables and myths that make up a culture, what comes next is an embarrassing reflection. My beloved, faithful mom prayed. No, she knew that I would be, in her words, a great leader. That in her prayers and in her knowing, she thought of me like, and I want you to steal yourselves, she thought of me like Moses, okay? I said it. It's embarrassing. It's like if Moses had like a foul mouth and kind of was petty but was also fun at parties. Like, it's hard for me to say. Anyway, like so many biblical mothers, Hannah in the temple, praying to herself, her lips moving over the silent words, praying for the one who would become her Samuel, God's Samuel. Sarah laughing in her tent at the ridiculous idea that in her old age she would have the pleasure of a baby. Elizabeth with her uterus bouncing with an already rambunctious John the Baptist. My mother believed that her baby would be faithful and maybe important. And probably I don't have to feel any shame about it. Probably it's not a reflection on me at all. Probably, I mean mostly, she mostly saw herself reflected. A faithful person holding out hope that big things are possible and that they could even come from her, from her firstborn, from the fruit of her body. Samson's mother is one of that litany of women who very much wanted the baby she birthed. Her story shares the shape of theirs. It begins, as you heard, with the name of her husband, yes. There was a certain man, you get his location, his tribe, and then at last that he has a spouse, a nameless spouse. She knows a long period of childlessness and disappointment. Then there's the appearance of a stranger. There's a pronouncement to Samson's mother. The angel of the Lord said, you shall conceive and bear a son. She's told her child will be set apart for God, consecrated, set apart for a life of service and leadership, to begin to deliver the people. And faithful, she believes all of it. That's, that's the pattern. And no, by the way, we're not the first ones to notice that you shall conceive and bear a son is the same thing the angel said to Jesus' mom, although Mary gets a name. Patterns are one of the tricks of storytelling, one of the tricks of how a human mind makes and seeks meaning. It's how we come to understand what's coming next. Knock, knock. Banana. Knock, knock. Banana. Knock, knock. Banana. Knock, knock. Orange. Orange, you glad I didn't say banana? Patterns. They set us up to see change, right? That's a trick of comedy, too. I would say comedy that's funnier than that joke. But it's making and breaking patterns. Patterns are part of how myths and fables and fairy tales do their work. There's a couple or a person. In their desperation, they make a desperate, reckless promise to get what they want or need. 
and inevitably the witch, the woman, the enchantress, or the little man with a long beard, they show up to exact the price and to steal off with the beloved child. If the people in that story are lucky or clever, but mostly lucky, there's an out at the last minute. A prince whose kiss breaks the spell, an overheard song that gives the name away, Rapunzel's tears that turn out to still do healing magic. That's the shape. That's the shape of the story that gives us hope. Hope even though that things are bad now, they may in the end get better. Hope even when we're trapped in thorns, in fear, even when we're trapped in blindness until then. So here's the pattern in the book of Judges. The book of Judges is about the time after the people had wandered in the wilderness. They'd been led out of slavery, and it's about the time when they were getting ready to settle in a land where, of course, people were already living, which is a pattern we also recognize. This is a time when they were learning how to be a people. Like, they weren't in survival mode exactly anymore. They weren't looking to the sky for bread from heaven and also like meat in the form of the birds that God sent. This was a time when they were going to eat the fruit of a particular place that they had planted. They were going to have to learn how to live together for the long haul. Moses was long dead. His successor, Joshua, was like kind of newly dead. Everything just kind of fell apart. People started to worship the gods of this new place. And then, okay, so here's the pattern in the book of Judges. The people do what's evil in the sight of God. God gets mad and hands them over to their enemies to live under oppression. The people cry out to God, who hears them. God raises up a judge to deliver them. This was before they got involved with, like, wanting a monarchy. And whenever God raised up a judge for them, God was with that judge. And God delivered the people from their enemies. But then the judge would die, and the people would relapse. They would relapse and behave even worse. Banana. 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 Othniel, Deborah, Gideon, banana, banana, banana. Samson, he's the orange. He's the last judge. And just like the pattern would lead us to believe, he's different. He's got this miraculous birth, a child set apart, his mother grateful and glad to name him Samson. And then we read, the boy grew and God blessed him and the spirit of God began to stir him. And that's a pattern that to some people looks like Jesus. Sometime, I can't remember when, it was toward the end of my third year in college, I shaved my head. And I assume that I seem like a person who at some point in my life shaved my head. I don't know. My school was full of like weird, radical leftists, like alternative types who were, to me, regular. I'm so glad that I was there when I was learning what the world looks like. In fact, it's not what the world looks like at all, but I'm glad we got it wrong in the ways we did. So shaving my head wasn't some like radical statement as much as it was just like a haircut. And I like thought maybe I had the face for it, which like maybe I did, but I did not have the face for like the Q-tip fluff that grew in over the next couple of years. I was also in a terrible phase at the time. A friend and I, had gotten into, and you need to steal yourselves again, we'd gotten into Ayn Rand, okay? 
Preaching isn't supposed to be about the preacher's shame, but here we are. My friend and I read The Fountainhead, which is a truly awful book in both form and content. If you don't know it, don't get into it. It's like capitalism on steroids. It's very, very bad for all people everywhere. Anyway, we read it, and in some related way, we thought that we were exceptional. I thought I was exceptional. Like, I was outrageously sure that we were somehow truly unique in our generation. And we thought that that uniqueness like made us somehow valuable to humankind and then like more valuable to other people. It's so awful, I can hardly believe that I believed it. My brother talks about this period as though I were lost to some terrible addiction, which I kind of was. I, I can't remember anymore what we were gonna do with all of that unique brilliance, but we definitely thought we'd been set apart. Within Samson's story, there are other patterns. There are other layers of patterns. Three times he falls for a woman who we shouldn't. His wife, then there was a sex worker, and then at last, famously, Delilah. And within that pattern of falling in love with the wrong person or falling for the wrong person, there's another layer of pattern. Two times he lets himself be convinced to tell life-threatening secrets. First, his wife, under the threat of death from his enemies, she weeps and begs him to tell her the answer to a riddle. For seven days, she cries, and finally he tells her. Just because he got sick of it, and, and that secret being out, it leads in complicated ways to many deaths, including her own. Later, he falls for Delilah, who's working for the Philistines. They're paying her. She cajoles him to tell her the secret of her strength. Once, twice, three times, and not subtly at all. She says, tell me what um, makes you so strong. And uh, tell me how you could be tied up so that, like, for example, someone could subdue you. Once, he tells her, use seven fresh bowstrings. They'll do the trick which she immediately tested out, tied him up. The Philistines are here, Samson, she calls out, and he breaks the bowstrings. Twice she pouts, you mocked me. Please tell me how you could, for example, be bound. He tells her that new ropes will do the trick. So she ties him up. The Philistines are here, Samson, she calls out, and he breaks the ropes like threads. Three times she says, you're making fun of me now. And he tells her this elaborate thing about weaving his hair into a loom and you start to wonder which one of them is more daft because she goes ahead and does it and calls out, the Philistines are here, and then right away, banana, he breaks away again. Finally, I assume you're seeing the pattern. She says, how can you say you love me when you're just lying to me? And she pestered him until he was tired to death and told her the whole truth that if she cut his hair, he'd be like everyone else. What happened next, Orange, you glad I didn't say banana, is that Delilah let him fall asleep in her lap and then somehow called a guy to come shave his head. And this time, when Samson heard, the Philistines are upon you, he woke up to find out that his strength was gone. The Philistine gouged out his eyes, put him in prison, and set him to manual labor. But although he was neither lucky, nor clever, nor anything but deeply regular, his hair began to grow again. 
in the worst times, a little fluff of hope. For a long time, people squinted at all these patterns, layers of patterns, trying to fit Samson into the shape of Jesus' story. Because for one thing, what happens next after all of this Oedipal nightmare is that Samson was trotted out in the middle of this huge religious festival for one of the Philistine gods. He was called out to entertain them somehow. They made him stand between two pillars to perform. And he said to the person who'd led him there, let me feel the pillars that the temple rests on so I can lean against them. The building was huge, packed with nobility, partygoers crowded in, and on the huge roof, an overflow space with 3,000 men and women. Samson's lip, lips moving silently, he finally turned to God and cried out the way the people had all those times before. And like then, God heard him. Remember me, he said, and give me strength just one more time. And he grasped the two middle pillars of this huge building and leaned his weight against them, his right hand on one, his left hand on the other. See the shape, see the pattern that people want to see. And he said, let me die with the Philistines. And he strained against the pillars and the whole place collapsed on him and all the people gathered there. By his death, as the angel promised his mother, he began to deliver the people from the hands of their enemies. But that shape is not the same shape of Jesus' story, not the pattern of Jesus. This shape, Samson's shape, that's the shape of a folktale. It's not a model for living. Any more than a fairy tale can do anything than offer you a rough moral. Don't trade what you need for what you want. Don't make reckless promises when you're hungry. The shape of this story, Samson's story, is kind of unfinished, incomplete. The people go back to their wicked ways, and in some ways they're worse off than they are at the beginning. Samson, the last judge, isn't the culmination of the judge project. He's the failure of it. The shape of this story, according to people who study this kind of thing, has more to do with Samson's role as a cultural hero, a trickster. He moves around the world with deception and riddles and exacting clever revenge. He's a bandit, a kind of bad guy he in no way lives by the promises made at his birth. I mean, yes, he lets his hair grow, but that's like the easy one. He spends the rest of the time like drinking and partying and otherwise making himself ritually unclean. There's like this whole thing with a dead lion. But he's an archetype called a, a bandit, a social bandit, an outsider, an alternative type who works on behalf of the oppressed. And like apparently all social bandit archetypes, even though he seems invincible, in the end, he dies. In social bandit stories, including this one, it's not the plot points that matter so much. Delilah's total lack of subtlety or Samson's boorish and completely inexplicable behavior. I'm just so tired. I'll just tell you. How did you put it? I'll tell you how to tie me up and subdue me. It's the shape that matters. It's the pattern. With Samson in the center at the bad end of a disastrous story, the shape of the thing points to what so many of our stories point to. That God hates oppression and wants people delivered from it. Even though Samson only begins the deliverance. That's the shape of these trickster stories. A weak, 
marginalized force fighting against stronger ones. In Samson's case, a weakened force, weakened by his own bullheaded arrogance and certainty about his own powerful uniqueness. With all due respect and gratitude to my mother, I am no Moses. Unfortunately, I, I do this week see a little bit of Samson in me. You know, I have uncommon strength in some ways and uncommon arrogance. And I'm definitely sometimes so tired that I would rather just give up. I see myself reflected in the patterns of the book of Judges, that pattern that kind of lands, according to people who study this kind of thing, at the conclusion that this whole approach was wrong. I believe that Ayn Rand garbage for years, like not too many years, thank God, and yes, I was still young, but still. And thank God the spell was broken, its hold over me snapped, and I realized, wait a minute, I don't believe any of this. I don't believe that betterment or deliverance or salvation is merit-based. I don't believe that exceptional people are worth more. I don't believe more shame that I'm one of one or two exceptional people in my generation. I think I'm regular and beloved, just like everybody else. And the people of God, it, it took a little bit longer than that for them to snap out of it. Or, or maybe like for me, it just took many times, many tries to snap out of it. It took for them, as for me, a loving God who's always against oppression. A loving God who doesn't rely on our strength to fix anything. A powerful God who wants always to do the heavy lifting for us. A gracious God who does not demand that we destroy ourselves to be saved who does not demand our firstborns or the fruit of our bodies to make things right. It took a God, in fact, who was weakened and took on the role of a bandit. A God whose story breaks all kinds of patterns, not just for now and, and not just to get things started, but for all people and all time. 